This is Ben Newman, and you are listening to The Burn, the show where we go behind the scenes with some of the top performers in sports and business to find out what makes them burn. Welcome back to another episode of The Burn. Now, this guy didn't need an introduction before the episode that we did with Drew Hanlon. He certainly doesn't need an introduction now. I want to dive into, you know, it's always incredible for me to hear stories of the relationships that you've built, but how hard these individuals that you work with, the commitment, the work ethic. I think one of the first rules of sports psychology, for an athlete to perform at their highest level, they can't solely rely on their natural talents and abilities. They have to understand the mental toughness side of what it takes to achieve peak performance. And I know in your work, you teach mental toughness, you teach hard work, you blend them together. But some of these stories are incredible. We can go a lot of different directions. So I'm going to highlight a few and you roll with it. I know working with Bradley Beal in high school, right? A lot of people think, oh, these guys just had natural talent. You know, they didn't have to work hard. They just, they go and make $100 million because they just, God gave it to them. Yet Bradley Beal, a hundred hour commitment to stay in the gym with you before he went to Florida. Jason Tatum, who missed less than one handful of workouts in four years, 6 a.m. workouts as a high school kid here in St. Louis. Uh, Zach Levine, uh, pre-NBA draft workouts, had to lock him out of the gym because the guy wanted to keep going after it. And then a dear friend of mine now, thankful to an introduction from you, John Jenkins, actually went to the hospital from working his butt off before he got drafted into the NBA. So you can start where you want to start, but when I think of hard work and I think of burn, what have you seen as a commonality in some of these athletes who have this fire that causes them to work that hard and to believe that much in themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think the the real cool thing is when we sat down and started kind of thinking about the burn episodes, you know, I, I use Michael Jordan, for example, and I said, you know, when people ask me, why do I think Michael Jordan's the best player of all time? I always say he had an it factor, something you can't explain you just knew he was going to get it done. You know, he was one of those guys that if you were watching him on TV, you were in a room full of people, uh, you know, he was down 15 entering the fourth quarter. If you said, hey, guys, uh, I'm going to take the Bulls if anybody wants to put $100 on the game, no one would take that bet, even though he was down 15 points because you knew he was going to figure out a way to throw his team on his back and carry them to victory. And that's, that's that special it factory. It's, it, it can't even be, you know, described really. It's just, you know, that it factor is – Basically, you have the ability to get whatever needs to be done, done. And you look at all these guys that, are, that you named and, and countless others, they're, they're guys that have you know, come from you know, all types of different uh, you know, communities and different upbringings, and they all had something that pushed them, the burn uh, you know, to push them. And, and it's crazy. Like, I always tell people that you know, I had Brad Beal and Jason Tatum since they were 13 years old. And so, uh, you know, we always joke around and say, you know, like it's a cheat code, you know, that you get to start early on. But really with Brad, Brad was like my guinea pig. You know, Brad and I's careers took off at the same time. You know, he was 13. I was 17. I didn't really know what I was doing. I knew how to get him to work hard. And, uh, you know, we did some things that really worked well. And we did some things that looking back were not the most efficient, you know, use of our time. But um, we both worked together to figure it out. And he was the one putting in the work. And I got asked one time on a podcast, he's like, how much impact, you know, that did you have on Brad and Jason, these guys you have at such a young age? And I said, listen, do I think that I helped him? Yes. Do I think that I was able to be the kind of GPS and telling them how to get to where they want to go? But just know I wasn't the driver at any point. Those guys would have been NBA players on their own with or without me. They would have figured out a way. They had an it factor mm. to them. And, and I mean that. And, um, you know, for Brad, I remember Brad did 100 hours in one month of on-court workouts, not including 
strength conditioning, not including, you know, just getting up shots, 100 hours of just skill work. And that was back when we didn't believe in load management. I mean, we were wearing him down. Part of the reason, you know, I take a lot of blame for the first three years of his NBA career. He missed a lot of games due to, you know, overuse injuries. It was because he grinded his way to the NBA. And, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, at six foot four, um, you know, without shoes on, He's undersized for his position, and while everyone was saying, you know, maybe he's not tall enough to be a two-guard, he just kind of worked his way to mm. make it happen, and that's why he's, you know, a two-time All-Star that's going to have a lot more All-Star appearances in his, in his future. You got guys like Jason, who started, you know, with me at 13. He was one of the best players in the country early on. Like, he established himself as one of the top players, but he still worked out at 6 a.m. and still worked out after practice. So not only was he, was the, he was the best, but he kept separating himself from the pack by that consistent work ethic. And I always talk about his it factor. The first time that I had him, I worked him out to the point where he almost, like I tried to almost make him pass out. And I remember afterwards his, his mom had sent me a text or called me and was like, you know, Jason said that they, we were gonna have to carry him off the court before he gave up. And then the next day I, I brought in Scott Suggs who was in the G League or in college at that time, I think. And, um, you know, Scott beat him seven spots to zero in one-on-one. Jason was 13, so he should have lost those. And, uh, again, but Jason battled. He didn't care. He, he, was, he was frustrated because he thought he should have won. And uh, after that, I was like, wow, this level of – his mindset was there. Hmm. Now we got to get his skills there, and we spent one week on the jab step. He loved Kobe, so we watched – we broke down Kobe's jab step. One week, but we didn't shoot any shots. We just worked on the jab step. And for a 13-year-old to have the discipline enough to not get bored – to not you know, want to do the fancy drills that he had seen all of his peers doing, but to lock in and say, I got to master my jab, it came full circle when a couple of weeks later he was at Peach Jam. And I remember Braxton uh, Key, who you know, just won a championship at Virginia last year, he was guarding him, and Braxton was somebody I had, I had helped in Nashville because um, I was at Belmont. Yeah. And uh, Jason, two or three times in a row, got him with a jab step and just messed him up. And I remember Braxton texting me, being like, bro, you got to teach me how to do the jab. And I was just screenshot it, sent it to Jay, and was like, that's a compliment to you being disciplined enough to work on it. I mean, there's so many countless stories. You know, Zach Levine, you know, he's been a lifelong worker with his dad. His dad played a year in the NFL, and uh, his dad transformed his backyard into a compound where they're doing like 100-yard, one-legged, you know, pogo jumps forward and backwards, and then doing hops, and then doing sand pit stuff, running up you know, blow up, and the people are like, you know, Zach was blessed with jumping ability. Yeah, he might have been blessed with jumping ability, but his dad also pushed him to, you know, to extreme limits as an athlete. We had to lock him out of the gym in pre-draft, you know, and you see him, he was projected 29th in the draft. He goes 13th in the draft, still feels like that's not enough. And now he's worked his way to, you know, 24 points a game, $20 million a year, and, and you know, future all-star where a lot of people didn't think that he was capable of doing that. And the last one was the craziest one that you brought up, John Jenkins. John was projected a second-round pick. A lot of people had him in the 40s. And um, you, you only get a guaranteed contract if you're in the first round of the NBA draft. So if you're the 30th pick, you get a guaranteed million dollars a year starting out. If you're 31st pick, there's no guarantee that you're even on the team. And so John was like, I got to get in the first round. We were working so hard that there was one night where I get a call and um, they told me, hey, listen, right after your workout, John went back to his, his dorm room and he passed out. And he was in the hospital. And so I went to the hospital, went to Vanderbilt Hospital. I'll never forget, he kind of pops his head up when he sees me and he's like, what, what time is it? And, and sure enough, 
I, I looked at the phone and told him whatever time it was, and he starts pulling off the things that were on him, the monitors or whatever, and they're like, John, what are you doing? He's like, I'm late for my workout. I missed my workout. And they're like, listen, instead of Sunday being off, you know, you can make today your off day. And he's like, listen, I, I got to get in the first round. And for him to be in the hospital, not worrying about what the doctor said, not worrying about whatever was going on with his body, he was literally like had worked himself to not only dehydration, but he was literally lacking some like minerals because he was working so hard for an extended period of time. But he was telling the doc, like, I got two months to get in the first round so I get this guaranteed contract. But a lot of people, you know, look back on draft night when he does, you know, he got drafted in the low 20s and they were like, wow, he really worked his way. But they have no idea what real work he put in. And, and that's why, you know, we call it the unseen hours because people had no idea that he was in the hospital, uh, you know, worked himself literally to the point, not of exhaustion, but worked himself to the point where he passed out and physically could not like go anymore. Couldn't even yeah. like sleep at night. He couldn't even sleep at night because he was back in his dorm room. Um, there's so many countless examples. You know, the guys that I choose to work with are guys that are, um, I always say they're great people first and foremost. I got to be able to connect with them off the court because we're, we're not just, this isn't a client, you know, coach relationship. This is like, we're brothers for life. You know, when they, when their careers are done, I'm still, you know, their best friends still checking in on them. We care about each other. We both want each other to succeed and win. So they have to be great people first and foremost. Second, they have to love and crave and be obsessed with improving. Uh, you know, I don't want people that just want to be in the gym just because they want to stay in shape and they're content where they're at. I want people that really want to grow and, and achieve great things. And the third thing is they, they have to have that obsessive mentality, that all-in mentality, because if I'm going and watching all their possessions and breaking down film. And if I'm spending mm. parts of my life to ensure that they do everything, if they're not holding their end of the deal up, it's just not gonna work in the long run. So that's what I look for. And, and uh, all the guys that I work with today, people ask, who's the hardest worker? I'm like, listen, you don't understand. It's a cop-out answer, but the reason that I work with them is because they're all obsessed with working. They're all crave improvement and they're all amazing people. And uh, while people want one answer, the truth is they all have their own unique stories of how they, you know, got to the NBA. And it wasn't because of me. It was because they had something inside of them, that burn, that it factor, that, uh, you know, kept them going when other people gave up. It made them do an extra rep when other people shortcutted a rep. It, it made them work on the days where they didn't feel like it. And it, it ultimately, that's why they're, they're the ones that are, you know, out there on the TV and the other guys are watching. One of my, my favorite stories, and I wrote about this when I wrote the Forbes article about you, and you talked about not just getting obsessed with the details, but really the micro details or the micro skills. And I, I will never forget this. Still to this day when I think about it, I get this big smile because it doesn't even seem possible to me. You and I were at San Diego Chargers training camp and we're hanging out watching one of, one of my guys that I had worked with. And all of a sudden you were like, hey, do you want to watch me come train some guys this afternoon? I'm like, heck yeah. I'm like, who are you training? You said David Lee. And the first thing that goes to my mind is, dude's 13 years in the league. He's already won a ring. You know, Popovich needs him like 60 seconds at a time, right? So yep. it's like, how hard is this guy really going to be working? At that point, he probably already made over $100 million playing. He'd already been an all-star. He already had it all, right? Yep. So I'm thinking to myself, like, how hard is David Lee going to be training? But St. Louis-born kid, I'm excited to watch you go to work. So I show up about 10 minutes after the session started. And I grab a chair and I was in, I'm looking at David Lee. He looked like he'd already been through three hours of working out. I mean, within 10 minutes, I was 10 minutes late. He's I mean, sweating profusely, going as hard as you could possibly go. Almost looked like a rookie who was like praying he could make an NBA squad. I grab a chair, I sit on the baseline 
And I remember towards the end of the workout, you had Sam, who I love Sam so much. You guys know the burn from, from seeing Sam on an episode. And you call Sam over. He shot 10 three-pointers at the top of the key. And you said, all right, stop, stop, stop. He said, Sam, get over here, get over here. Run that in real time, man. Run that film back right now. And you guys are looking at this camera. You got David Lee, who's already made it in his career, and you literally breaking down. Look where your wrist is. Look where your elbow is. Look where your foul throw is. I was in awe. Because, you know, it's one thing when people say, like, oh, man, get into the details, and I grind, and all these things, which I know drive guys like us crazy. Because it's like everybody says they're grinding. But that, to me, was like... You talk about the burn. You talk about doing something. It was almost like I got to see you committed to your craft, Sam committed to his craft, and here David Lee. None of it had to do with money. None of it had to do with It was like if we're in this gym right now, by the way, it was an old high school, no air conditioning, hotter, hotter yeah. than hell, which is where you choose to yeah. continue to do your work. And I'm thinking, that's the burn. You guys were all there to give it your best. Yeah. And it just, it blew me away. And it, I mean, that's the regular practice for you is taking yeah. guys to that moment. I think the, the thing that most fans don't understand is that pl- most players, players that really love it, they're not in it for the money. It's nice, it's a great perk. They love when their salary goes up and there's times where there's contract negotiations and uh, people are like, you know, that player, he's so spoiled. Why does he want more money? And it's like, well, you would want more money if you could get more money as well. But it's really the only reason that the salary matters for the guys that really love it. Now, some people use the game of basketball just to obtain things. And, you know, that's totally fine. They use that as their service. There's a lot of people that also go to work just to provide for their family or their house or pay the bills. But the people that really love it, the, the salary thing is just a value to them. It's okay. They perceive that I'm worth this much. That's a value to me. And that makes them feel appreciated. But the truth is the results are what they crave and the results are what they're after. And they're obsessed with perfecting their craft, becoming the best player that they possibly can be. And the secret is, and this is, it's no secret, but the secret is they know that if they cheat themselves, they're not going to be able to live with themselves. That's what makes the best the best is they're, they don't lie to themselves. I think most people lie to themselves. Most people are in a job and they say, you know, ah, it's great for what I need it to do. It pays the bills, mm. et cetera. But the truth is, the hidden truth, they hate that job. They know they should be doing something else, but they're scared because they don't have a safety net that they're scared that they're going to go fail if they try to do what they really want to be doing. And these players, they don't want to live with that regret. They don't want to live with that kind of what-if mentality. So they go all in where they don't have any regret. At the end of their career, you hear all the best ones in their Hall of Fame speeches say, one thing I don't regret, I gave it my all. You know, and there are a few random you know, cases where guys were just ultra talented, but even those guys, regardless if they you know, worked extra hours, you, know, you hear Shaq who makes fun of himself all the time, and you know, Kobe Bryant will give him a hard time about, you know, publicly about if Shaq worked like me, and Shaq will say, you know, only if, when he's like average 40 and 20 in a series, and his point is, hey, listen, just because I didn't do it your way, I still worked my ass off. And that's why I was mm. who I was. You know what I mean? You don't just naturally become the most dominant basketball player of all time just because you're big. Because there's a lot of big people. You know, maybe there's not a lot of seven-footers that, you know, whatever. But I, I did work my ass off. Just maybe not your way. And so I think that that's the special thing is everyone does it their own way. But the truth is those great players, they don't want to live with that hidden truth of they didn't give it their all. They're holding back. 
they're, they're, you know, there's something in there that, that has that what if questioning that drives people crazy. The burn to me for a lot of those players is not having what ifs at the end of their career. They know they did everything that they possibly could do to maximize their chances of succeeding and becoming the best player they could possibly be. And that's why at the end of their career, they can be like, you know what, when I'm hanging up my shoes, most of them have like a, guys, I did it. I did everything I could. I gave all to the game that I could. Now it's my time to move on to something else. And, and that's the best feeling in the world where you don't have any regrets, you don't have any what ifs, and you really don't worry about you know, any other outcome because you know that the only one that, that you had was that you gave it your all. I hope everybody paid attention to that because the difference is not just giving the hard work every single day, but giving it and stretching yourself to what it means for you to be your best. If you listen to what Drew said, and this is coming from two coaches, you know, Drew didn't just say, hey man, you should start a series and do this just for like entertainment value. No, it's for an opportunity for you to choose something different. So it's not lying to yourself at the end of the day. It's having the ability to look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, today I gave it my very best because you know the truth. You don't have to be Kobe Bryant. You don't have to be Jason Tatum. You don't have to be Bradley Beal, but it's an opportunity for you to show up and give your best because if you cheat, you're only cheating yourself. And that does it for this week's episode of The Burn. If you want to catch the YouTube version of our show, make sure that you head over to YouTube and search Ben Newman, The Burn. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, at Continued Fight.